You're listening to the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Steppen, and this is episode 17. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the CSP Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Steppen. You can find my website at www.conversationsinspeech.com. Today on the show is going to be another AAC-based episode. Haha, I know you all think I'm going to be doing nothing but AAC and Marge Blanc, but that's not the case. I have some other cool stuff in the works as the months go by. Um, Hopefully, the summer comes as uh, the school year ends, I can free myself up to record more episodes. Uh, But anyway, today's show features none other than Megan Brazos, who talks to me a bit about integrating PECs with core vocabulary. Kind of cool. Uh, Megan uses this kind of approach in the district, in the school district where she works. Uh, She works in a similar program to mine, and that is actually in suburban Chicago. But I didn't meet Megan here, actually. I met her in Pittsburgh, in 2013, I know I've talked before about the Pittsburgh AAC language seminar series. We met there and we've since kept in touch, trading uh, advice and uh, support through emails, talk about implementation strategies. We've talked about literacy before and we got we met recently and uh, I asked her, more, more like begged her to come on. No, I didn't beg her. Uh, I pleaded with her to come onto the show because I, uh, you know, I need guests and I think she has something really cool to say. Um, she has an interesting approach. And again, it's the PECs and core vocabulary mashup here. And if you, by the way, if you go to the website at conversationsandspeech.com, I'm going to, as the feature photo for this episode, you'll find a picture of a typical PECs slash core vocabulary book that Megan uses uh, with her students. So you can get a good visual of that. And I'm also going to attach the show notes. She mentions a flow chart of uh, decision-making flow chart for use of a uh, of a PEX or low-tech approach. But um, we'll talk about that, and you can, of course, go to the website to check that out. So uh, without further ado, I'm just going to jump right in. We'll get into the conversation, and hope you enjoy it. So maybe you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, how long you've been an SLP, and what areas you've worked in, and all that kind of stuff. Sure, absolutely. Um, Well, my name's Megan Brazos. Currently, I'm working at an educational life skills program um, during the day at a general education school. Um, and outside of the public school setting, I do have a small private practice where I see patients in their home or in residential facilities um, or in a clinic setting. Uh, prior to that, I worked at a special ed cooperative uh, at a therapeutic day school, and I saw all ages there. hmm um, and how long have you been in SLP now? Uh, I think eight years. <laughs> eight years, okay. Yeah. Eight years, yeah. And I remember you said you went to Northwestern, is that right? I did. I went to Northwestern yeah. for my master's. Um, and for undergrad, I went to University of Illinois at Champaign, Urbana. Uh-huh. Um, so at Northwestern is kind of where I started getting into like AAC, functional communication, um, you know, there wasn't a huge focus on it there in the academic setting, but my yeah. place, my placements had me in um, kind of like in, thrust into the AAC world. So I was at Shriners Hospital. Oh, good, um, place. A good place to start. Great place yeah. to start. I had a great placement there. Um, also at NSSED as well. So mm-hmm. I had like mm-hmm. the cooperative. Yeah. So I had early childhood um, at very young age and then like at Shriners all the way up to um, like 25. So it was a good place to start. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you've had more AAC experience than I have. I mean, I, I, in graduate school, I didn't really, we didn't have a course. I don't think I had any placement that gave me any experience. It was really, um, on the job training at really most of it at my recent job. So yeah. I think it's like that for a lot of speech language pathologists. Um, I, I, I was very fortunate to get that like right away in grad school, but yeah. um, it, it's not a required population when you're in grad school. No, um, it's not. I mean, I mean, yeah, Northwestern didn't have, they had a course, it was not required. Yeah. So I had a student um, uh, recently in my school and I believe that right before she started it, well, she finished up with me, it was the fall 
quarter. Mm-hmm. And over the summer, I think she had she had taken a, an AEC course. So, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have to, just to, before we get into some other stuff, I, you know, I saw a, um, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter now, so I get to see a lot of interesting tweets from SLPs. <laughs> and um, I saw, you know, I don't know what, I don't I won't bring up his name, but um, I don't think he would mind. But one of the tweets that I saw recently was um, uh, that there should be specialization, you know, within within speech pathology. And I'm I don't know. I'm more the opinion that there should be some some type of track or something that leads people. I you know something where there there's flexibility that within two years of your CFY that you want to change uh, focus or something like that. But the more, the longer I've been in here, I think in the field, I think the longer I feel like there sh- almost should be specializations within within the field. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I 100% agree with that. I could not agree with you more. We have such a broad scope of practice within our field. There's so many different areas, um, and I think we're kind of at the point where we need almost a clinical doctorate with the material that we we need to cover. Yeah. Um, I mean, our my I remember my masters just being so um, so much information packed into um, a short amount of time, mm-hmm. and with all of the specialties now to really understand your area and provide like the best practice, you you do I think you need you need a specialty. Um, you know, if I had a client with stuttering right now, I don't think I would feel very comfortable treating that client. There's oh, a yeah. whole whole world of um, treatment practices and diagnostics just for stuttering. And then you have a whole nother one just for voice and a whole nother one just for feeding and swallowing. Um, I think to provide the best practice, I I agree. I think we need some sort of track program. Um, Almost, almost like physical therapy has gotten to that point. Physical therapists have gotten to, you know, a doctorate now and Mm -hmm. didn't use, didn't used to be. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and I, I can see it changing in the field at some point. I don't know when, but I, I sort of feel lucky. We, you know, we both work in educational life skills programs, mm-hmm. and I feel somewhat lucky that I'm in that program because I don't see as broad. I mean, and there's there's definitely a broad population within what I do, right? But again, like if I were working uh, in the general education curriculum. You would have to worry about what if I get a kid who has stuttering or right, right. You know, just I just feel like it's even broader, and uh, there's you know you can't know it all. There's just there's not enough time. There's not enough anyway. So uh, moving on, I wanted to, so we wanted to talk today about your well mostly about your presentation. You were just at the ATIA conference. Yes, yes, I was, and yes. um, this was really cool. So the audience, I should let you all know that. Megan recently uh, emailed me. She shared a link uh, via, via Google Docs or Google Drive, rather, I think. Mm-hmm. Something that you've been doing. So I think most of the audience can probably guess that I'm a big fan of core vocabulary. <laughs> and uh, in my school, we have adopted the Pixon Project, uh, mm-hmm. Gail Van Tatenhove's baby. Yes. And uh, you've done something very interesting with that. You've actually kind of done a little mashup between core vocabulary and mm-hmm. PECs. And so... Why don't you just kick yes. us off with a little bit about what you've done there? Sure. Um, so a couple of years ago, I think now, I attended the same pass, um, the same training that you did in Pittsburgh, focusing on core vocabulary. Um, and after after that, I came back to my district and did start um, a core vocabulary initiative. Um, I, I guess I, I, w- I would say that our our program has not formally adopted the Pixon project. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, I've kind of been a big, um, I've been pushing that um, within the classroom. So the classrooms that I'm in have adopted the Pixon project um, within my program. Um, but with that, you know, in our, in our setting, we see a lot of children um, who have low functional communication skills, students who are not necessarily persistent with their communication, students who have splinter skills, um, children who don't advocate for themselves with communication. And I found that PECS really has been the best modality to, to teach that initiation and persistence and to teach joint attention and object permanence. So... After you, I, I've been to several PECS trainings and I've been using PECS for um, 
for a few years now with integrity. And I think that's kind of like the big point is using it with integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, But then beyond that, you kind of end at a stage, you know, stage six of PECs where you have kids ending up with commenting a basic comment I want and then a basic a basic comment I see. I'm sorry, a basic request and a basic comment. So but beyond that, um, you know, it's kind of where it falls to the wayside. Like, where do I go next with a kid? Like, Mm -hmm. this is a kid who learns well with this backward chaining prompt hierarchy um, of using a, a communication strip to um, exchange information. So it kind of ends there. But then we also know developmentally, like after 18 months of age, kids are moving beyond just nouns, which is the focus of PECS. So um, after having a better understanding of core vocabulary, I tried to integrate the idea of um, kind of like the ABA philosophies of, of PECS and then adding in core vocabulary. So um, I selected 77 words um, based upon Gail Van Tatenhove's Pixon project into a pull-off Velcro system that attaches to a three-ring binder. And this certainly could be done with PECS. It could also be done with any three-ring binder, um, but also reinforces the ideas of, um, of backward chaining, or the exchange of information between two people on a sentence strip. Mm-hmm. So now, um, uh, just to um, give the the audience an idea, you know, I was thinking that, and it might be a good idea to, in the show notes, to link to maybe a picture of the PEX book and the strip and everything. And the, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, maybe, um, I suppose I can take a, mm, well, maybe you can send me a JPEG or some, some type of image. Sure. Um, that I could just sort of post so people can get an idea. So it, it is a large three-ring binder, but it actually looks like two binders in one. It kind of does. Sense. It's it's right. a fold-out. It's kind of almost like, um, you know, these 77 icons fits on like an 8 by 11 piece of paper. Yes. Um, and the reason why it was really the 77 icons is, well, one, it's the, you know, first naturally occurring words that a typical child would use. But really, 77 icons fits on this 8 by 11 paper and that can easily attach to a fold out from a three ring binder. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, how many words can I get on this space? How many core vocabulary words can I fit onto this space? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it doesn't really take up too much space. It really doesn't. No, it, do- it, it fold- doesn't look too bad on there. I mean, it looks it looks like it, if you put any more, it might be a pr- uh, problem, but uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, seventy-seven looks like it's, it's a good uh, is a good number. You get a lot it's of core vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So and I started I started with twenty actually, and I was like, these twenty are big enough. And I I found that even children with you know, and this it's made for children with good dexterity. This is not something I would use with a child who doesn't have good fine motor dexterity. Yes. Um, but I was like, twenty words. This isn't enough. This is not enough words. Like you can't model language with twenty words. So yeah, I made. Yeah kept increasing it to, to 77. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's portable. It, it's a fold out system Vel- attaches with Velcro. And I, th- I do think a link would probably, a picture of it would probably speak a lot more than just describing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, okay. So you have the stable core set of core vocabulary now. So each symbol has its own little pull off. So it you, does. Can, you can take words like want or look or, um, on or up. Mm-hmm. Um, silly, whatever it is, tired. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can put that onto a sentence strip, a traditional PEX-looking sentence strip yes. at the bottom. And then, of course, you have, you can open up the binder and search for fringe vocabulary. So those yeah. uncommon nouns, things like, mm-hmm. I don't know, scissors. Yeah, um, scissors, your colors. Shoe. Um, mm-hmm. Right, anything. Yeah, and the um, the pages in the book, at least with the pages I use are all color-coordinated. Um, food items, all their reinforcers or play items are on a page. I, um, people are on a page. I do purple people, um, easy to remember, um, and so on. And so, yeah, a child can – their core vocabulary is actually um, all in the same location. So it kind of um, stays consistent with that idea of language acquisition through motor planning, that your core is always in the same spot no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your fringe is just kind of that top row. You know, you're flipping through your book and um, you can access that as well. Yeah. Um, and the other big part of this is um, the idea of personal core, personal core vocabulary. So that any words that are meaningful to a child in their life should be incorporated throughout the book as well. Are you speaking more then of the uh, the fringe vocabulary? Yeah, so. within that fringe vocabulary, kind of the idea of like personal core 
Um, so people, that would be one of them. People that are important in their lives okay. are like reinforcers. Um, you know, um, mm-hmm. a, a Toy Story character wouldn't need to be in everyone's book, but it's in their book because it's meaningful to meaningful. them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I don't know anyone else who's who's doing this uh, the way you are, this mashup between pecs and... Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was watching that video that you had shared with me that you uh, you showed at uh, ATIA, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, you know, you, you talked one of your slides, you said essentially that you can use um, an ABA type approach, you know, behavioral type approach, or just using um, aided language stimulation, a more yes. uh, indirect approach. And okay, mm-hmm. so I guess the question I have here is, have you found that you're using uh, the PECS, uh, are, you, are you using the PECS approach, you know, with fidelity in the same way that you would do with a normal PECS system in this adapted form? Are you finding uh, you're doing that? I would say it depends on the child. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what's so nice about it is the fact that you are individualizing the therapy to what the child needs, whether it's like the ABA discrete trial approach mm-hmm. versus the aided language stimulation where you're modeling. So, um, I have done some problem solving through different kids and um, certain kids do very, very well with the aided language input, you know, me modeling my vocabulary, teachers modeling their vocabulary. Um, And then there's the kids who, you know, PECS was difficult for, um, who needed a lot of time going through all the stages. And I guess what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is they really needed the specific prompt hierarchy in order to advance through the stages. Um, I don't know. Let me think about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I I would guess, Um, you know, my my guess is that the kids kids who are on the spectrum probably are more more likely candidates for a traditional PECS approach than kids with, say, other disabilities. Yeah. Um, Oh, absolutely. Generally speaking. Absolutely. You know. I would say I used it with a couple of students with Down syndrome who do really well with the aided language stimulation. And then I've actually find find like a point prompt or um, even pulling off the icons like you would in the Pixon project off the large board. Mm-hmm. You can do it this as well. You're pulling off icons. Doing If you're teaching the word on, you can pull it off on their book. Um, but I have found that there are, you know, there are some kids who learn the best through discrete trials. We have a couple of kids. They've learned their... A lot of their, um, you know, following directions and school readiness skills and concepts through discrete trials. So I do think that for some kids, you do need to pick that backward chaining approach, mm-hmm. um, even with with the core icons to teach them the meaning of words. Um, so yeah, there are some kids I would just um, and I call it masking, even though it's a static board or a you know a low tech board, but. Um, when I'm u- teaching the discrete trial type um, of format of teaching, I would remove all of the icons except for the ones that I'm focusing on. So if I have want on there, stop, go, all done, and help, um, I would teach the meaning of you know stop for different things or the meaning of go for different things um, mm-hmm. versus with aided language, I probably would have more of the icons um, left on the board. If that makes right. sense. So yeah. I would remove a lot of the icons and backward chain, just like with PECS. Kids learned what want meant. Kids learned what C meant um, mm-hmm. and do the same thing with all of these icons individually. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea of even using, I, I think what, what you're doing, what you're doing is, uh, is very cool. And what makes it interesting to me is that I've, uh, since learning about core vocabulary, it's always seemed to me that it's, there's a natural, I think, inclination to, to think of core vocabulary as going with aided language stimulation. Mm-hmm. So in other words, that in an ABA approach, a discrete trial approach and core are just mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And I've, I know my own experience, I can think of a few individuals, at least in, in my district, some who are no longer with us there, but mm-hmm. um, who came from behavioral programs who lo- saw core vocabulary and, so, and said, you know, it didn't make sense to them uh, whatsoever. Right. Um, and I know that's, you know, I've, that's not my district. I know I've heard that from uh, other districts, other people working in the field, that it just seems that this, the notion that uh, using a discrete trial or ABA means teaching uh, more transparent words, i.e. 
fringe vocabulary. So I don't know. I mean, I just wonder if, if you have anything to say about that. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I I think, and I think actually to the verbal right, the VB map. When I think about a lot of this, does your district use the VB map to assess students? We do not. Okay, so the VB map actually, even in their training, they specifically say never start with the words more or help or um, anything, anything core, really, you know, the first words should all be nouns and you're, you know, Mm -hmm. manding and tacting all these nouns. Um, And I understand the benefit of nouns when you're in a child's developmental age up to about 18 months of age. So yes, start with their reinforcers. You have to start with what a child is interested in to learn language. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can start with M&M's. You can start with goldfish. You can start with the things they really enjoy, but quickly move them through the stages. I guess for me, quickly move them through the stages of pecs and then move them straight into core vocabulary because that's what's appropriate. I think sometimes with the ABA approach, um, you get stuck there on nouns. Um, yeah. They don't move beyond that and they just continue to reinforce that. Um, you know, start, you can, you can move a child into core vocabulary after they've acquired some nouns. Mm -hmm. I do believe like with typical language development, when a first child first starts learning language, they start by labeling nouns and their environment and saying nouns, but it quickly transitions into core vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that in my district, because we have discrete trial trainers, um, they're 100% on board with the core vocabulary initiative. And I don't, you know, I don't know if it's <laughs> That's great. Me, me working with them or, um, you know, it is. I, I'm very fortunate to such, have such a great relationship with the, um, the discrete trial trainers and the district, but um, they, they understand it. They understand, you know, typical language development. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once they see that you can, or when someone with that behavior, that EBA background sees how you can use something like this, like this exchange system with core vocab to meet, to do therapy, to meet the needs of the child, then they buy into it more. Yeah, no, that makes um, sense. So I, I, I really think that a lot of core vocabulary, it, good implementation, I, I think comes down to, you know, I, I, I always joke, I have a friend who's in sales and he said that, I once joked, I said, um, I think I can, I do okay in your, in your type of field of doing sales, but, um, you know, you're, you just have a natural gift. And he said, well, Jeff, he goes, everyone's in sales. You just don't know it. <laughs> I might've said this before in the podcast. I think about that all the time, especially with core vocabulary, because I really mm-hmm. think it's, you know, I, I truly look at it as like, I, I need to sell this. Um, right. you, you know, right. you know, in your heart of hearts that, uh, you're doing, um, what you hope is the right thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, um. Anyway, so I wanted to move on. Not that I want to focus on some uh, negativity, but sure. again, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about some barriers, at least that I've had sure. in getting court. You know, so one of the things that I saw in your video, it's about a 15 minute video. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw more than once, I think at least a couple of kids who were taking the uh, Pixons off the strip or uh, off the uh, board, putting on the strip mm-hmm. and making the mm-hmm. sentence and then saying the sentence. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I want or... You know, what's in the, what's in there? What's that? Okay. So they're repeating it. And so right there, I can think of a, uh, someone who was in our district game last year, who is very much of the, of the mindset that if a kid has any verbal ability, you would not want to, uh, or have a need for using any type of augmentative system. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for those maybe out there who are just starting an AAC or, who might have that question themselves, maybe you can address that. Sure, sure. And I even think like going back to pecs, you know, I think people get confused about what am I accepting? Am I accepting the pictures on the strip or am I expecting or accepting verbal language? And really, I think it comes down to with what method are you getting more language? So if a child were to verbally tell me, like, give me that, please. You know, I'm going to have a party and celebrate the fact that he just verbalized four words. Oh, yeah. Um, But if he is able to, um, on a sentence strip or with his device, say, you know, give me that big cookie, please, a longer utterance, Mm -hmm. then I would accept the AAC system um, or device. Um, 
So basically, whatever you can get more language with. So if a child can say more with their device, yeah. then you accept that and celebrate that because that's still language. You know, their uh, their whole verbal production is going to be maybe difficult. They maybe have severe praxia, motor planning, where they can't verbalize very well. So if they're giving you more language and whatever is easiest for them, if it's easier for them to communicate something with a device or a low-tech system, then you should be celebrating that. Mm-hmm. Um, and with PECs, I think even with that protocol... Um, even in the trainings for PECs, um, it does go back to if it's a new skill, it's a, if it's something that's newly acquired. So if it's a new language skill, then you really provide more reinforcement for that. Mm-hmm. So if a child is, you know, maybe it's the first time that they've independently put a sentence strip together. It says, I want cookie. And it's independent. You would give them probably a whole cookie to reinforce. Wow, great job, yeah. you know. Um, versus if, and then if they verbalize, I want cookie, then you're going to give them three cookies and then celebrate. And wow, this is fantastic to really reinforce that new skill. So I think it just comes back to what you're able, what's easier for the child yeah, and what you're getting more language with. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you being that you use a, a PEX of behavioral approach, especially more, the, more likely with the kids on the spectrum. Yes. So I guess my question is that PEX is be- definitely being known for more of the requesting than anything else. I know mm-hmm. that they say, well, no, they're saying they're commenting too. I see. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the question I guess I have with that is being that this is a mashup of core mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with fringe vocabulary, do you find that even within the same kids that you might be going back and forth between that behavioral approach and more of the aided language stimulation? So, in other words, maybe during. Uh, unstructured playtime with toys that they favorite toys reinforcers foods during snack time Mm -hmm. but maybe during an academic lesson and you're talking about i don't know if you guys use like unique curriculum or news to you yes we do okay Mm -hmm. so something like that and you're just talking about the topic of the week Mm -hmm. um i'm guessing that during a a time like that you'd be doing more of a language stimulation or is there is there a room for a pex type approach in there as well well, I would say that I do probably exactly like you've talked about. I do a combination of both. There's some kids where when I'm teaching it, mm-hmm. I need to do the ABA style backward chaining to teach a new word or combination of words. Um, but then maybe after the child's mastered it, I may be at, able to add in some extra words to that sentence or phrase just using some aided language input. Mm. Um, one of the child children in the video, Chris, I think you saw him yeah. um, a few times. I use a combination of approaches with him. Um, so when I was teaching him to ask questions using core vocabulary, I first did it with a more backward training style approach. Um, for one example was he asks for more of something like more fish when he's asking for more, more goldfish crackers. So when he first did that, it was a backward chaining style approach. Um, now I think he's kind of at the point where I could put on, can I have more fish mm-hmm. and model my own language? And then he'll actually look and look to me and look at what I've modeled and then go back and um, apply that and generalize it. Mm-hmm. So I think you can, abs- yeah, yeah, it is very, yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Um, and you can do switch between activities. I think if you're teaching a brand new word, you probably need to backward chain it the first time or, um, Maybe a point. I actually find a point prompt with this with this system works well as um, not hand over hand backward chain necessarily. Um, oftentimes I find, and sorry to ramble on here, but no, oftentimes I find that after a child's gone through pecs with the backward chaining hierarchy, um, you can do less invasive prompting mm-hmm. with the system. So um, I may not need to backward chain with a hand over hand, like a release prompt with the word as much as if I point mm-hmm. and a child may, um, may get it just from the point prompt. Yeah. So I, I have found that, that I don't need to do a hundred percent. And I guess it does per- depend on the child. Like the boy, Chris, you saw on the video, he's a lot different than another student who I have, who's, um, currently in stage two of pecs, um, who will probably need some, um, some backward chaining, including like a hand over hand prompt release with a word um, like for help or all done or something like that. This is all very interesting because I have to tell you that um, when I took, when I came to my present job in 2010, Mm -hmm. I was still very much 
um, Intopex. It was really mm -hmm. um, all that I knew. But again, as I learned about core vocabulary, I really it really fell by the wayside. But then I have I'll tell you why I think what you're doing is uh, is really cool to me. It co goes back to uh, my talk with John Halloran. Mm -hmm. and something that he said that one of the things that I found when we started the Pixar project, we definitely had some early successes, but the problem, of course, is that for a lot of kids on the spectrum, it's something that John said that really rang true to me, that a lot of the kids on the spectrum don't know when you're speaking to them or for them. Mm -hmm. And so when you're mm -hmm. using just a static board and I'm pointing to symbols, I remember thinking to myself that it was... It was a win if, say, after a month or doing it, maybe a month, two months, if after that period of time, they would then start looking at what you were modeling. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It took and, a, and, yeah, yeah. And so this, this actually kind of takes me back to uh, the pod people. The pod people. <laughs> I went, <laughs> so I went to the, uh, the pod people. The um, yeah. I went to the pod uh, workshop, that five-day one. And, you know, they talk about how do you define any success? And um, one of the things that they talked about, of course, was just, again, even just uh, en engagement to, this, to the extent that there's a lot of aided language stimulation going on. And then, mm -hmm. you know, when you're getting some interest, some maybe quick eye contact here and there, some glances. Mm -hmm. And so then I kind of saw that. So I, I took that as, as progress. But again, some kids, it was really, really difficult. And so that if, if all I, were ever, I was ever going to do was just a language stimulation. I just knew some of the kids were not going to quote unquote get there. Right. Um, and so what, right. and so the interesting thing is this idea of PEX is that's a very motor, it's a motor act tied to language that they're putting their, their pictures onto a strip and handing it. So that, that in itself is kind of cool, but then I've, I'll, I'll even go another step beyond that is that even with PEX, um, you sometimes find that kids, even the, the connection between that and language can sometimes be you know, tenuous. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where, you know, not to ramble on my end, but oh no, no, this is where I think my big aha moment over the last uh, year has been the idea that I'm trying to get kids on devices faster than ever before. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because again, for the kids who, the kids who I suspect a, that are going to be nonverbal for quite a bit of time, uh, who are going to need some long-term supports and for kids who I think need that immediate sensory feedback, right? A static, a static board is just not going to cut it. Right. A point know? board, yes, absolutely. A point, exactly. uh, yeah, a point board. Um, I could not, I could not agree more with you. Yeah. Um, I've also been to um, a pod training, not the five day. I think it was the two or three day. Yeah. Um, and kind of see the same things for my children with autism. I would say for my children with autism, I see a huge need for that motor planning component. And also with the the whole multi-sensory feedback, the kinesthetic feedback. And not to go back to, you know, this system, but I do see this as a transition for a child providing kinesthetic motor sensory feedback and then having a child. I would, I mean, I would ideally like most of my children to be successful on a um, voice output device, a dynamic display with a motor planning component. Mm -hmm. um, but this works as a transition with, I think, similar properties before going to that. Mm -hmm. um, I wish that, you know, we could supply devices to everyone who needed it. But unfortunately, there's, you know, budget cuts and um, there's issues with funding. And um, I think this works as a nice transition or while you're waiting. In the meantime, you know, every child deserves a communication system. So to provide them with something that has the right evidence-based properties mm -hmm. before before putting them on a device. Yeah, you bring up a um, good point. And, and I think that just a second, you know, the funding issues, you know, you, you're, uh, you're in the same state as I am, Illinois. You work at a <laughs> neighboring district. And yeah. I don't know, you know, we met um, not too long ago. I don't know if we talked about the problems with funding that, um, at least that I've been having with uh, Illinois Medicaid. Yeah. Um, they've been you know, rejecting everything recently. And so mm -hmm. a number of the kids that I work with are on Medicaid. You know, I, we just finished up actually a couple of trials. Well, actually, no, one we're going to extend a little bit longer, but I'm already thinking ahead what we probably ha are going to have to do if uh, the device is not funded. Mm -hmm. 
anyway, so and what provide like a providing a a, a low tech backup or a low tech means for communication. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we just um, you know it's it's a really it's a tough situation because we have a, a a guy who came to our district, um, an older boy uh, last year who really it sounds like didn't really have much uh, of a shot at a true language system at mm-hmm. a good language system. So you know we, we really want to get this push going, but like, it's Medicaid, and I already. We're we're extending the trial another month, and I can just sort of already see what's you know the future, right? Right, the um, outcome. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm already trying outcome. to make some contingency plans. Like, hey, what are, right. what are we going to do? Um, in the meantime, in the meantime, while we're waiting, or, or as an alternative. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I know one of the things that we we do. Luckily, we've had a couple of um, you know iPads with land boards for life open up, and mm-hmm. you know, which was oh, that's great. Yeah, that's you know, great. which was do you? Yeah, I, I hate. To- do you happen? Do you have the touch guards for those that are created, or are you using those without the touch guards? Uh, you're talking about like the ones that they make with the gumdrop case, the uh, the key guards. Yes. Yeah. Do you have Do you have access to those for your Words for Life? Um, we, you know, we had used it. I can't remember which student had used it before. Um, the one that comes with the gumdrop case, I believe it's the same company, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was not a big fan. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've used that one before, but the, I have not. No. I found that the the touch guard was or a key guard. I guess what do you call the touch? There's touch guides and there's key guards, right? Right. So in this right. case, it would be a key guard. I want to get the, the okay. I want to get the nomenclature right here. Okay. <laughs> so the key guard, I've always found that, or when we did use it, they were very thick. I'm mm-hmm. trying. To, I don't know how to explain this. The the width and also the depth. And so okay. You know, I, again, I have adult hands. I have larger fingers. And so it's not as big of a problem. Or I say it's a bigger <laughs> problem for me than it would be for a child. But again, but even okay. for a larger child, I mean, my hands are not that big. I, mm-hmm. You almost have to, I almost feel like you have to dig a little bit more to get to the icon. Like as much as on a uh, de- dedicated device? Um, well, again, okay. it, it, like if you, t- if you took, a, say, an Accent 1000 and uh-huh. used one of their key guards, not right. a problem. Right. Uh, they're they're thin. They're made for it. Not that, of course, they didn't cut these for it. But I are these found, more like uh, the Vantage Light, like deeper? Uh, deeper? I'm not familiar enough with. The, I haven't seen a Vantage Light in too long to know. Oh, we've but got a lot just, of those running around. So yeah, but <laughs> I think another one had come out. I can't remember okay. where where it came across it. But anyway, I just found that they're you know, and this is one of the things, by the way, that the iPad is a wonderful thing. I think the apps, the communication apps, but. There's so many like little modifications you have to make to make it to turn that thing from an iPad to a a good yes. speech generating device. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to really trick this thing out. <laughs> like I, right. You know, right. like first of all, like my biggest complaint is the uh, is there's the lack of uh, volume. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, yeah. we my district is not a, a very wealthy district. I mean, you know, I should say we're not we're not destitute, but if you walked <laughs> into our building, you in my in my program, you wouldn't see plush carpeted floors that are that acoustically <laughs> treated rooms it's very loud we have right. you know we have old hvac systems that just spit out uh air at something like i measured one day like i think i told you like over 60 decibels and uh, so do, when you, put, do you have air conditioning we do we do not have air conditioning. Oh, so where ahead of you? <laughs> Certain rooms have air conditioning. We are. I am no. <laughs> so you're suffering for about a good month or so. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so I mean, you know the um, you know the the loudness issue with an iPad. Just just from that standpoint, you have to. I, I think like it's almost mandatory to get a good to get to give a kid a good SGD SGD out of a iPad. A, you've got to have a good Bluetooth speaker, and there's of course some options for that. Then B, you're gonna have to get get a heavy duty case for it. Yeah, you're gonna have to get a nice warranty for that because you know these things do, do get dropped and and broke. So yep, yep. Um. Anyway, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but um, okay. <laughs> yeah. But you know, again, getting back to that student, I can sort of see us having him kind of go back to an iPad. Of course, this is one of those things he was using. He's been trialing Unity uh, 60. Okay. And to go back to iPad, uh, Lamports for Life, the motor patterns are. Roughly the same, but first of all, you're going from an 84, you know, from 60 to 84. And yeah. the motor patterns are, the icons are similar, but the motor patterns are not exactly the same. And so now we're right. kind of messing with them again. And Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, nothing's perfect, you know. No, nothing's There's perfect. There's no place that's perfect. Yes. Especially not in Illinois. <laughs> yeah. Um, not here. <laughs> no, not in Illinois. Not in a lot of places, though, either. 
Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm jumping in here because on this next issue that I brought up with Megan, I sort of rambled on too long and I'm not sure that I made my point clearly enough. So for the listener's sake, let me just provide a brief intro into the next segment. I have a concern regarding the teaching of sentence chunks that the students may not be ready for or appreciate in the way that we might assume that they should. And I'm thinking in particular of the typical I want X sentence uh, frame. So I asked Megan if she was concerned about teaching a particular phrase um, and the potential of creating an, an inflexible gestalt. So think of Marge Blanc episodes 6, 7, and uh, 16. So we'll jump in here and hear Megan's thoughts on that. So, you know, I guess for an example of that, like when I do PECs, and I should send you um, kind of a flow chart I have of like how I decide a core vocab exchange type system versus a static board mm -hmm. and with PECs as well. But I always separate I and want. So I usually don't veer from the path if there's something that says, oh, this is how, you know, PECs works. It has evidence behind it, which it does. Mm -hmm. I, I always separate I and want so that they're never in, it's never I want as one um, icon. It's separated into those core icons of I and want. Yes. Um, I still do leave them because that's the PEX protocol. It says like I want is together. So, mm -hmm. but they're backward chaining those individually. So I put mm -hmm. I and want inside the book and the child pulls off I, then they pull off want and then the icon. Um, it's one more step in the backward chain. So I really don't see it as that taxing on the child to learn, oh, I pull off two icons versus one. Yeah. Um, but I do separate them. So the child is... Um, looking at them and they're saying, oh, I is I, want is want. You know, they're two separate words. They mean different things. You can combine them in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and then getting into core vocab, combining not just I want, but want that, want this, eat, want eat, want drink, want more. Um, so you're using want in different ways. Um, I've actually contemplated like I don't know if I have the right to do this per se, but yeah. not even going with pecs inside the book uh, and just going straight to this exchange system and not even putting the I uh -huh. and just putting the want with the icon. Because really when we, we would see a child, you know, two years of age, um, they may just be using a single word want with a food, want yes. fish, want, you know, and I've actually contemplated like maybe I should just you know, forget this whole <laughs> prompt six or the whole like six stages to pecs. Let's just use single word want and take away the I in front of it. Well, um, I think to be quite honest, I think you're on there and you brought up, a, you know, a, a, another good point there that I think that the difference that you have from pure pecs is that you can combine want with other words. So that's not mm. always I want X. Um, no. You can do I want that. I want more. I want this. I want that. So mm. I think that's a really good plus right there. Right. Um, but yeah, but then the other thing that you just you just alluded to, I, and this is another thing I've been thinking about more lately. Again, and this is from you know coming from me, I'm a big fan of core vocabulary. I understand developmentally, but again, the one you know the issue that I have is I'm trying to I'm I'm specifically interested in the application of core vocabulary to kids on the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. and one of my so one of the concerns that I have is let's just take a look at the pronouns itself, I versus you. And oh, you yeah. just brought up an interesting point. Is it necessary? Is it worthwhile? Is it developmentally appropriate to start with an I? Now, some some linguists might say to me, but you need to have access to all the possible words in the English vocabulary because that's life. You know, mm -hmm. from infancy, we're all exposed to just a multitude of words, right? Especially, hopefully, you're in a language-rich environment that these are the words that people are exposed to. So right. there's that side of the equation. But then mm -hmm. there's this other side of the equation saying, yeah, but we also, we do use things like vocabulary builder. We do do masking because we want to highlight mm -hmm. certain things. There's that side. And there's this idea of, does this particular, this child, does this particular child even have a notion of an I versus a you? You know, are they ready? Right. So I, I'm looking at it from both sides of that. And it's something that I've been grappling with for some time now. Yeah. It's yeah. a toughie. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and... And we don't always, you know, just thinking about that, we don't always request the same way. You're right. It's not always, I want, I want, I want. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many, like, you also see, you hear two-year-olds and three-year-olds, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, it's it's not always the same phrase to request something. We request a lot in our life. We're always requesting, whether it be like we're requesting attention or requesting or requesting someone to do an action, you know. But um, we use different words to do that. Um, I, yeah. you know, I try in my therapy, like, when they're on a Corvac vocab system to mix it up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you give me, help me, you help, you do it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I do it, you know, to work on those pronouns. But yeah, you do, you do bring up a good point with that. I, I really like, um, we, from time to time, we go back and forth using, uh, in the Pixar Project, Yale's uh, module-based system, you know, teaching words um, in a sequence. You know, mm-hmm. or in other words, you have the module one words, module two words, and each set of words maybe have, a, there's a different theme, like one is maybe directing activities, right? And, mm-hmm. Okay, so, and, and so one of the things that, um, you know, we've thought of this idea, you know, one of the things I like about Gail, I think she, she has a quote in her manual, something to the extent of, you want to teach all the words simultaneously, but not all at the same time. Okay, yeah. So in other words, yeah. this idea that you maybe in a certain week or in a certain session, depending on what your your uh, outlook is, that you're really focusing on these number of core vocabulary words. But even in, but in a in the macro sense during the day or during even during a lesson, I can use another core vocabulary that's not part of my lesson. So maybe mm-hmm. my um, lesson is around asking mining for information like what, but I'm also going to I can throw in a this here and there, even though right. the what is the main word. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I'm a big fan of that. But I, I, I also, um, just to, again, I, I think for the kids on the spectrum, like my, I'm a bigger fan of taking those, those modules, and we've modified it a little bit here and then, but sticking with a module for longer than, say, a week or even two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, mm-hmm. I know one classroom right now, I go and I do a little bit of group, and then uh, the teacher and teacher aides, they have time to... So I'm really definitely focused. I have a kind of an activity around a, a set of core words. Um, I try to keep it actually to only two or three per like three weeks, I think we're doing mm-hmm. right now. Okay. And then I create, here's an activity or, and you can create your own too, because it's core. There's so many things you can do with it. Um, but the idea is that for three weeks, we're really going to drill uh, these three words. Yeah. And let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can find some opportunities to do that. So Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and how do you find? Can I ask? How do you find that your goal writing is has has it changed since you're implementing core vocabulary? How yes. you're writing IEP goals? Oh, you brought up an awesome point. Okay, uh-huh. I'm going to tell you the biggest aha moment I have from Pittsburgh. All right. Okay. So, like, this is this has changed my world. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever write an IEP goal with the team, you know, or, or myself that says the child will answer a WH question. <laughs> um, I have grown to loathe WH question goals for a number of reasons. <laughs> but I mean, I, I can go on a rant, but I won't. Um, and so my uh, my big aha definitely comes. Oh, who is it who gave the talk in Pittsburgh? I think it was Debbie. Okay, Witkowski. Debbie Witkowski. Yes. Yeah. So I think she's the one. Yeah, she's the person. That's right. Who talked about descriptive teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that I want my students to be able to tell me something about a given subject, or tell me about what you're doing or what you did in art today. Tell mm-hmm. me about what you're thinking. Tell me if we're talking about the news to you subject this week is about snow, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me something about snow. It's cold. Mm-hmm. You know, it's white. Mm-hmm. You can eat it. Well, some people yeah. do. Uh, <laughs> so, like that to me is much more meaningful because you, you know, you start writing WH question goals and you just right. run into all sorts of problems because then it's like he'll answer what questions with such and such accuracy. Well, what kind of WH question? Right. Like, what is it's this? Our, it, is a rock. Yeah. You know, yeah. what did Johnny feel in the story? That's a different WH question. <laughs> so, right. Oh, it's so arbitrary. It's so arbitrary. It is. It and, really is. You know, yeah. it, at the end of the day, what does it really tell us? I mean, I don't right. know. Right. I mean, I think when you get to those higher level language kids, which, you know, I'm not necessarily with during my, <laughs> during the school day, um, yeah. you know, I'm in a different setting, but um, yeah, the, a lot of times those get, those kind of, que- those questions get arbitrary. They um, do. And um, the so, 80% accuracy, you know, it's like, okay. yeah, I'm like, you know, you know forget <laughs> that 80% because then, you know, I, and you probably seen this too, don't you, you get a bunch of kids who can maybe, I've seen this a hundred times. You say to yourself, or you say to them, you read a story and say, you know, what was the story about? And really what they're doing is they're just making associations. And especially mm-hmm. if you're giving them visuals, they're just basically riffing on a, a visual that you're giving them. Right. Um, and right. so they become, they become visually, you know, dependent and, you know, prompt dependent. And so I just, I feel like, and, and not to say that it's easy to get them to 
use devices or use Core to talk about things. It takes a lot, a lot of work. Yes. But, um, you know, you want to talk about what better way to align with a common core. Mm -hmm. You know, they talk about in every common core grade about, you know, describing or relating. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. core's got it all. So it, it does. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really yeah. Does. yeah. So yeah. that's my little rant there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we'll wrap up here. Is there anything else you wanted okay. to talk about before we, we stop today? Um, did we cover everything. Okay, we did. Okay. Hopefully they were, you know, good answers because I'm like, uh, you know, I ramble on about things, you know. As do um, I. No, <laughs> it's a good. It sparks conversation. You know, I will share you, um, I'll share with you like my, um, the PDF of like how I determine systems okay. kind of, which talks about the PECs. I'll just, I'll email that to you if you want. Okay. Um, but no, I think we're, we're good. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. I want to say thank you for coming on the show. I have to tell you that um, you are the second school-based SLP. Okay. And I, and you know, why is it a big deal? Because since starting the podcast, it's been really difficult to find people to come on the shows, particularly people who work for organizations. Mm -hmm. so, Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, yeah, and I can understand. And you can understand, can why. understand why. And it's like, you know, yeah. it's you don't want to say something that's going to... So uh, thank you for being brave, coming on the show. And Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Yeah, we made it through. Okay, so housekeeping. want to make sure that I get this right. We were talking about the iPad and the Lamp Words for Life app, right? It's a touch guide, not key guard. Key guard, or touch guide, sorry, is made by a separate company from the gumdrop case. So the, the touch guide made by one company to fit only onto the gumdrop case. So that was the instance that I used uh, the touch guide under. So I hope that makes sense. Um, next, Megan mentioned a flowchart that she uses to decide whether to use a PEX slash core system versus a static board with core. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes. And so for those of you who listen to this podcast through your smartphones, and I know a lot of you do, um, that hopefully, I've never tried to link a PDF in there, but hopefully if you click on a PDF, you'll, you should be taken uh, directly to it. And it's an experiment. We'll see if it works. If you can't get to it through your smartphones, just go to the website and hopefully it'll work there. Um, that's about it for today. Uh, last thing, I'm thinking of devoting a short episode to having just myself talk about how I tried to apply core with students on the autism spectrum and the issues that I struggle with. So let me know if that's something you'd all be interested in hearing about and perhaps weighing in on. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Keep in touch. I'll see you next time.